All right. Well, again, welcome. We are kicking off a new series in Ephesians, uh, the book of Ephesians. I'm excited about this. Um, what we typically do at Hope, and it's been a little while. I think this this past, what was the last book we went through was Hosea. Uh, we went, uh, it took us, was it 13 weeks? I think we went through Hosea. Um, Ephesians will take us to the summer. Uh, and so I'm looking forward to uh, digging in into this book. Uh, it's, it's one that I've actually never preached through before. And so, uh, yeah, so I'm looking forward to just taking our time, just looking at two verses this morning. And we're gonna just be walking through this uh, book slowly. And uh, just see some really, really cool um, connections between our local church, not necessarily like, you know, Paul's like, hey, church in Lower Town, St. Paul. But he does for sure talk about the church and specifically uh, how that then applies to us. And so really looking forward to, to digging into this. And so to kick it off, I was going to have, you know, remember back in the day, we would kind of talk to each other and, you know, germs and stuff. So I, we stopped doing that. But I want you to think about maybe a time where you had, I don't know how it's to say, but maybe like an identity crisis uh, of this is who I am or this is who I think I am. Uh, I, I remember uh, specifically, this would have been back in probably, oh, 2004 or five. Um, and I was in college and the Cubs, I'm originally from Chicago, I'm a big Cubs fan, and they were in the playoffs uh, in, in Atlanta. And I was going to, I was going to college down in South Carolina, and Atlanta is not, you know, maybe a two-hour drive. And so we, we drove then to Atlanta to watch them play the Braves in the playoffs. And it was game five, it was really exciting, and the Cubs ended up winning, right? And, and I remember, though, on the way out, I'm, I'm super excited, right? They were going to go on to the next, they didn't, they didn't go to the series that year, I forget uh, exactly how far they went, but... Um, made it to the next round. And so I'm, I'm, I'm super excited. I'm there with my buddies. It was just kind of like a random thing. We're just going to go down. Well, we walk out to the, you know, the, I don't know, the, the, the foyer. What do you call that in a stadium? The main area. Atrium. Sure. Yeah. And uh, we walk out there and there's a guy, uh, a Cubs fan who's, you know, just pumped, right? And he's yelling stuff at the, you know, Braves fans. He's like, you guys stink. Yeah. Like, okay. Like whatever. Well, someone punched him in the face. Um, and, and I immediately put my jacket on, right, to cover the fact that I was a Cubs fan. Because I was like, I'm not getting punched in the face uh, for being a Cubs fan. I'm not going to do it, right? I'm not that big of a fan. Uh, and, and, but I just remember, like, almost feeling guilty. Like, um, I'm ashamed that I'm a Cubs fan, even though they're clearly the better team, at least at that point they were. Um, and, and just kind of, like, feeling this, like, what's, what's, going, what's going on? And, and what's cool, though, what Paul is going to do in the book of Ephesians is we're going to see is he's gonna call us out and say, mainly throughout the entire book, this is who you are. This is your identity in Christ. Uh, so let's, let's look like it. Let's act like it. Let's live it. You don't need to be ashamed of this. Um, and so Paul's gonna walk us, walk us through this identity of who we are in Christ. Uh, and I, I am really excited to do this. So this week is just gonna be an introduction. Um, introductions of books are um, the most time-consuming of any book uh, when you start off a series because it's just so much research. Uh, a lot of commentaries, just reading through, just trying to get through just two verses worth of material because it's all this intro stuff. And so a lot of it, I, I, you know, I'm a history guy. I can kind of nerd out when it comes to this stuff. And then I go, okay, I, I spent way too many hours studying and reading this stuff. And, and I, it's not that important, right? So I'm going to kind of give you some, some little snippets of things that I've learned that hopefully will be applicable, uh, that you can go, wow, that's interesting fact, cool, great. Uh, but I don't want today just to be data, right? Information, cool. Here's the church in Ephesus. Uh, I want us to, to see Jesus and I want us to walk out of here more in love with Jesus 
um, the true king. And so uh, this is going to be an introduction to it. So let me just read. These are the two verses we're going to be looking at today. Ephesians chapter 1, I'll have all the scripture uh, up on the screen today. Ephesians chapter 1, starting to verse 1, says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to just look at this idea of Paul. <laughs> and one of the big questions that always comes up in any time you study any book in the Bible um, is authorship. Who actually wrote this book? Was it actually Paul? Um, and so did Paul write the book? The answer is yes. Moving on. No, I'm kidding. Well, we'll I'm, let me talk about this a little bit. Paul, Paul um, it, it's under criticism for a number of reasons. One is um, that his, his message... Um, the language has maybe changed. That some of the Greek words that that this that, that Paul uses in this book to the Ephesians is a little bit different than his letter to the Corinthians and the Thessalonians and the Romans. There's some overlap, but there's some different word usage. And and the thing is that that's okay, right? People change. Um, I'm sure that if you went back and looked at a paper that you wrote in college, you'd probably use different language and different vocabulary than you would now. I would imagine. Uh, I know that's for sure, right? I know that the first email that I sent my wife to try to get to know her, I, I think I was trying to sound smart and was using big words and totally using them in the wrong context uh, just to try to like, yeah, I'm gonna impress her with my, my word knowledge. Um, and it didn't go well. She still said yes, we, we still went out on a date and uh, now we're married. Um, and, uh, but anyways, right, things change, right? And so it, just because words are a little bit different doesn't necessarily mean it wasn't Paul as the author one of the major criticisms, though, is the recipients, because in Paul's letter to the Romans, he lists like 20-some people in the end of the chapter, in chapter 16, he lists a bunch of names, like, hey, hey, say hi to this person, and say hi to this person, I miss this person, and give this person a kiss for me, and, right? and all these names, and, and with the book of Ephesians, as we're going to see, Paul spends over two years in Ephesus, uh, and, and yet never names anybody. It seems to be very broad. And the reason for that is because there isn't just one church in Ephesus that he's writing to. As we're going to see, Ephesus is a huge city. And there were multiple churches that they didn't obviously do church the way that we do. There wasn't these mega churches. There were these small house churches that he would have been writing these letters to that would have circulated. And so that's what would have happened. He would have wrote, he would have wrote a generic letter to a church in Ephesus that would have gotten passed around to the other churches, even outside of Ephesus. Um, and so that's why it's a little bit more broad. And so there's a whole lot more that we could say and we could talk about this. But uh, I, I fully believe that Paul is the author of this book and I will treat it as such. Um, one thing, one way, let me just share how I study, um, that I don't ever study in isolation. <laughs> uh, that when people study a book or they read something in isolation, um, and they just have one person that they go to all the time, uh, views can be skewed. And, and so the way that I study, and I would encourage you to do that, is we've used this to mention this before, read like an adult, uh, that it's okay to read books where I don't agree with necessarily the position of it, but I can still learn and I can take some truths from it. So when I have my seven or eight commentaries on Ephesians, I have some that are, nope, this is not Paul. Uh, we don't believe the Bible is the word of God. Uh, and here's why. I can read those books and I can glean information from that and say, yeah, I can reject that, uh, but there's still some things I can learn. 
And then the other side, they'll write, it's a, and then everywhere in between that I can read these books and take from it and then step back and go, okay, what, what do I actually believe on this? Uh, and, and then not just do that even in isolation, that I'm able to talk to other people about it. Uh, where, do you, where do you land on this? And, and that's okay. And so I would encourage you as we read, as you read, as we study the Bible, um, that we, we study together. Um, uh, community, I, I wrote down in my notes here, community wards off heresy. Uh, and I mean that. There's something about getting into a group and then when someone's like, oh, I got this great idea. I'm reading this thing and I don't think anyone's ever read it this way before. Yeah, that's bad, right? Um, if, if somebody has, if the church, like the entire church has missed some kind of theology for over 2000 years and you're the first one to figure it out, mm, I think you're probably wrong, okay? Uh, so community is really important uh, as we do that, including how we study and how we read. And so that's that. Who is Paul? Um, I wanna, I'm gonna be reading a, a lot of scripture today, but not from Ephesians, not from when Paul was in Ephesus. Well, he is in Ephesus, but from the book of Acts. And so I wanna look, give a little bit of background. I think a lot of times we just throw out, oh, Paul is the apostle, right? But who is Paul? And how did, we, how did Paul become Paul? And so I wanna give a little bit of background on him. You might not be too familiar with who he is, other than we live in a city called St. Paul, and that's who it's named after. So what, what about this guy? Who is he? So I'm gonna go back to Acts chapter seven. Um, and uh, let, me, let me just read, read this, starting in Acts chapter seven. Uh, a little bit of context. Uh, Paul's name is Saul at this point. So when we're reading about Saul, uh, God is gonna change his name to Paul, but he's not Paul yet. He's Saul, and he is a... Uh, Pharisee. He's a religious leader. He's a zealot. He is responsible for killing and arresting Christians. Uh, and so that's kind of the scene that we're going to get here. So in chapter uh, 7, verse 54, it says this, when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, just the religious leaders, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. This is Stephen. Stephen is going to be the first martyr. Uh, he's going to be uh, stoned here in just a minute in the story. Uh, but he is preaching about Jesus and the religious leaders are furious, right? I don't know, I don't know how you gnash your teeth at somebody, right? Uh, right? They were very mad at him and they were gnashing their teeth at him. Um, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open up and the son of man standing at the right hand of God, which according to these religious leaders is huge blasphemy. Uh, they just killed Jesus because Jesus was claiming to be God. And now here is Stephen saying, I see God, the Father, and I see Jesus, the one who you just killed. He's there. He is God. At this, they covered their ears, right? They're, they just won't even, they're so mad. They're covering their ears. They're yelling at the top of their voices. And they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. This is our well, antagonist who's going to turn into our protagonist. And while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said that this, he fell asleep. He took a little nap. It's not true. He, he died. Uh, and then verse eight there, right here. And Saul approved of their killing him. Uh, this is Saul. He's, again, religious leader that he is out to hunt Christians. That's what he's doing. And if I could pause for a moment here, I'm sure we all have friends, family that we love, that we care for, 
that we want to know Jesus. We want them to know Jesus. We want them to, to worship him. We want them to love him. Um, and, and yet, I, I think there are times where we just go, yeah, there's no hope. I have been praying for this person for so long and I just don't think there's actually hope. I don't actually think God is capable of saving this person and turning them around. And what we can see from Saul is that nobody anywhere ever is beyond the reach of the gospel, ever. And so that person, you're like, ah, man, I just, they're, they're, they're old and they've, they're never gonna change their way. They're stuck in their way. They hate God, so did Saul. Nobody anywhere ever is beyond the reach of the gospel. Uh, recently saw a, uh, a meme, right? That's the little thing uh, that said, the martyrs that Paul persecuted rejoiced and they saw him in glory. Um, and that's, that's the gospel, right? That when somebody can, you, you killed me for my faith in Jesus, but you came to Christ and I rejoice in that. That's, that's beautiful. Continuing on in the story. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats. Again, wow, bad, I don't like you. Murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. And he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, this is Christianity, a new religion founded on Christ, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go to the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. And Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand to Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord. And he answered. Now, this is interesting. I'll maybe try to read between the lines here a little bit. But for three days, Saul is blind. This is somebody who most likely has Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy memorized. He knows the scriptures, right? He's persecuting people because he, he doesn't read the storyline the way that they do. He doesn't see Jesus as the son of God and he kill, he's killing people for it. But in three days while he's blind, I think that he starts to see the story, the fuller story of, of Jesus actually being the fulfillment of all these prophecies. So Ananias, God calls out to Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask him for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him and to restore his sight. This, I love this, right? This, this is God talking to Ananias. I want you to go, go help my, my, my guy. I want you to go rescue Saul. And Ananias goes, Lord, um, have you, do you know who you're talking about? <laughs> I, I, so I've heard about him. I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. Like, are you sure you, sure you want me to go to that guy, right? Uh, I'm not, just want to fill you in in case you don't know who this is. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and to their kings and the people of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. 
I have never heard somebody who preaches wealth, prosperity, hey, give a little bit in the offering and God's gonna restore you tenfold, ever preach on these verses. I'm gonna show him how much he must suffer for my name. He's gonna, you're gonna follow me. There's gonna be some suffering involved. There's gonna be some isolation. There's gonna be uh, some hurt. Sorry, uh, boy. Uh, then Ananias went up from the house. Sorry, I, I just dropped a bomb and I, I know I shouldn't do that. I didn't mean to get emotional there. Was it in my notes? Uh, so I, I love you guys. I do. Um, I don't even know what to say um, without giving too much information away, but um, it's hard losing friends. I'll leave it at that. You can talk to me in private about it. Then Ananias went from the house and he entered in it, placing his hands on Saul. And he said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the roads were coming here, has sent me that you might see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again and he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. And then it says, and he immediately went into the synagogues and he starts teaching people about Jesus. Because I think, again, in those three days, something happened. But there's a key phrase here that happens with when God is talking to Ananias, he says, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles. And that's what Ephesians, the book of Ephesians is all about. That Paul is now going to say, I'm going to preach the gospel. And this is wild. What's why, I mean, Paul, as he's writing this, and I hope that we can grasp this as we study the book of Ephesians, what's wild is that Gentiles are allowed in. That's, that doesn't make any sense. It was, but yet, as we read the story and as Paul realizes, it was always about all people and all nations, not just ethnic Israelites. So let's continue on here in Ephesians. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. And so I want to kind of look at just, I don't know, I, I try to come up with some questions about who, what, and where is Ephesus. So let's look at this, where is Ephesus? Um, this map might even be a little bit too zoomed in, but that's Greece right there. Uh, and on the right in the Mediterranean Sea, so it's a coastal town, very wealthy, uh, big trade port. It was kind of the furthest of any Greek or Roman city, uh, the furthest east. Uh, and so it was a big port. Uh, and it was a really big city. It was about 300,000 people estimates, right? So we think about Minneapolis uh, or St. Paul, that, that's a, it's a big city, right? There's a lot of people there and it's a wealthy, wealthy city. Uh, there's a lot of merchants and we're gonna see, this was kind of cool this past uh, Tuesday, there was a couple of us in our small group. I just, uh, again, because I don't like learning and, and reading in isolation, but we, we went through just the, the first 14 verses of, of Ephesians together. And there was a couple, the, the language that Paul uses uh, is, which I've never, right? I've read this book a lot, uh, but I've never noticed this. The language that he uses is very um, bank-y, uh, uh, right? There's a lot of language when it comes to uh, exchanging and interest and all these different things and down payments. And, and he uses this language a lot. Uh, and so we're gonna we're gonna see that in in this book. So uh, that's that's where it is. Great. Uh, who cares? Uh, what is Ephesus though? This is interesting. Okay. So this is uh, the Greek uh, goddess Artemis, or sorry, Artemis. Uh, when the Romans took over, they kept the goddess, but they changed her name to Diana. Um, and what's interesting though is that she is the uh, goddess of hunting 
and wild animals and forests. And so it's hard to tell, but she's covered in uh, animals, uh, wild animals. Uh, and she's also uh, the goddess, which again, this is, I don't, whatever, but she's the goddess of chastity and childbirth and fertility. I don't know how that works. Um, uh, and so she's covered in those eggs. She's, she, that was uh, the description of her. She's got eggs all over her. That was her thing. And she was very big, very popular. Um, and and this, is, this is crazy. This, this blew my mind as I was doing some research. And this image isn't the greatest, but it, I was able to compare the Parthenon. So if you know the Parthenon, it's in Greece. Uh, it's a big deal, right? If you remember the Olympics, you know, in Athens, it was a big deal, the Parthenon. Uh, but the Parthenon there is the one in black. And the temple to Artemis is the one in red. It's over twice the size. This thing was massive. It was huge. And it's, it's weird because the Parthenon gets all the credit, right? It's like, oh, Parthenon, this great, you know, Greek, you know, building. This thing was massive. The problem is uh, there's only like one like tower left or one column, you know, where the Parthenon is mainly still standing. But the Parthenon, if, if you have math or, or whatever distance and whatever size, Parthenon was 229 feet long uh, and 90 feet wide. It's a big building. All right, it's probably pretty comparable to this building. Uh, but when we look at the, uh, the temple to Athena, or, at, or sorry, the uh, uh, Artemis, um, that it's bigger than a football field. So it's 377 feet long by 180 feet wide. And if you are familiar with a football field, a football field is 360 uh, feet long, right? It's 100 yards, the playing field, but then there's 15 yards on the end zones. Uh, so it's gonna be 360. And then it's 55 uh, yards wide or 160 feet wide. And so this is bigger. So if you think of like a, like the, like a football field, it was even bigger than that. It was six stories tall, uh, 60 feet, uh, just a massive building, right? It was a really big, big deal. Now, and this all, this all very interesting, especially when we get back into reading in Acts here. So I want to look at who then is Ephesus. And this is what's, what's fun. I, I've, I've shared this image so many times, and I'm going to share it again of, uh, from Scott Duvall's book, Grasping God's Word, that we won, we grasped the text in their town. What did it mean to them? And then we gauge the width of the river. And again, what's really cool about this book is the river is very narrow, uh, that we're in the same covenant, uh, that, that Paul is writing to a New Testament church, which is us as well. Uh, and then you cross the principalizing bridge. But the main thing I, why I put this up there again is number four, and that is consult the biblical roadmap. And what happens a lot of times is we're reading our Bible. And if you're reading Ephesians, then you, and you get a little footnote or you get a little something, you, you click on that and it will take you then back to uh, Exodus, or sorry, Acts chapter 19. Because Acts chapter 19 describes what Paul was doing while he was in Ephesus. And so we get more of a glimpse, right? It helps us really fully, in a, in a more full sense, understand what's going on in Ephesians when we go back and consult the biblical roadmap and see what's exactly happening. And so I'm going to read. It's, it's a long, long thing here. A lot of words are about to be on the screen. Uh, but what I, I just want to read Acts chapter 19, the whole chapter, it's 41 verses just to give us a little bit of context of what's going on with Paul in Ephesus at the time. And, and uh, I'm not planning on really stopping and, and talking about it a whole lot. We'll just read it and go from, go from there. So Acts chapter 19 says this. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered, no, we have not heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Okay, there's a lot going on. This is really cool. Again, what's happening here? 
uh, is that Paul is preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. And we might say, well, did they actually believe? They didn't have the Holy Spirit. And this is beautiful what happens here because what could have happened is Paul uh, or the, the Gentiles could have believed in Jesus and the gospel and received the Holy Spirit. And what they would have done because we're human and this is what we do is we would have said, we don't need the Jews. They can have their own Christian church. We'll do our own Christian church. We don't need them. And so what happens though, by the grace of God, that the Holy Spirit is being held back until Paul comes, and this happens multiple times in the book of Acts, that Paul comes and he goes, oh, you haven't received the Holy Spirit because we need to do this together. We're on the same team. So Paul asked, what, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. And Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. And he told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is in Jesus. That's what John the Baptist, he's out in the wilderness and he's baptizing people saying, I want you to repent and believe in my, my little cousin, Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and then they spoke in tongues and prophesied. And there were about 12 men in all. And Paul entered the synagogue uh, and spoke boldly there for three months arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate and they refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them and he took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that the Jews and the Greeks who lived in the province of Asia uh, heard the word of the Lord. I got cut off in the back, sorry. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even the handkerchiefs and the aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon possessed. And they would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out, right? So he's making a name for himself, right? So, so people who don't even believe in Jesus are like, hey, Jesus, like talking about Jesus seems to actually cure people and, and, and even get rid of demons. So let's, we don't necessarily believe in Jesus, but we'll use his name. We'll just name drop Jesus to the demons and then they'll leave, right? And so they're going around doing this. Um, and it says seven sons of Sekva, a, a Jewish chief priest were doing this. And one day evil spirit answered them. I love this. Uh, Jesus, I know. And Paul, I know about, but who are you? <laughs> right? Like, who, like what, what? I don't I'm not sure about this. And then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. And he gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. <laughs> it's just wild, right? They got whooped up because they were like, hey, I'm gonna cast out, I'm gonna cast you out. And he's like, I don't know who you are. You can't do that. When this became known to the Jews and the Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. And many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came up to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. After this all had happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. After, he, after I had been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. And he sent two of his helpers, Timothy, and Erastus to Macedonia, and while he stayed in the province of Asia a little longer. About that time, there rose a great disturbance about the way. 
a silversmith named Demetrius who made silver shrines of Artemis. Okay, this is this, this goddess that we just talked about, this huge building, that's the temple. This is a silversmith that made little idols of this goddess. He called them together along with the workers in related trades and said, you know, my friends, that we have received good income from this business. And you see here now, this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and is practically, and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all, okay? <laughs> this, uh, this is a danger, not only to our trade, but we will, lose a, we will lose our good name, but also the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited. And the goddess herself who is worshiped throughout the province of Asia and the world will be robbed of her divine majesty. And when they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And soon the whole city was in an uproar and the people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and all of them rushed into the theater together. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but his disciples would not let him. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul's, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people didn't even know why they were there. <laughs> I love, I love that line, right? <laughs> like, like that made it in our Bible. You know what I mean? Like Dr. Luke is writing the book of Acts and he's like, they didn't even know what they were doing there. All right. They just, they just, they were just following the mob. And the Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander to the front and they shouted instructions to him. And he motioned for silence in order to make a defense before the people. But when they realized he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. The city clerk quieted the crowd and said, my fellow Ephesians, doesn't all the world know the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and her image, which fell from heaven? Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you ought to calm down uh, and not do anything rash. You have brought these men here, though they have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our goddess. If then Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anybody, the courts are open and there are protocols. They can press charges. If there is anything further you want to bring up, it must be settled in a legal assembly. As it is, we are in danger of being charged with rioting because of what happened today. In that case, we would not be able to account for this commotion since there is no reason for it. After he had said this, he dismissed the assembly. All right, so that's the context. I know that was a lot of reading, a lot, a lot of words, right? A lot, of, a lot of verses. But in Acts chapter 19, that's our context. That's what we get to go back to, to go, oh, that's what's happening. So now when we read this letter to the Ephesians, there's a little bit more of understanding. There was this riot that happened, all these silver idols and Paul saying, nope, this isn't actually a God. Let me tell you about the God. Let me tell you about Jesus. And he starts the book off that way. And just in conclusion, when we get to this, because I, I, I want you to look at Jesus today. Right? That's great, cool, great narrative, cool story. It's kind of fun, right? The demons and beating people up and, and this, well, why are we even here? We don't know. Ah. When we get to this verse though, we see grace and peace and we're gonna see a lot of grace and peace, a lot of it in this book to the Ephesians. Because when we gauge the width of the river, as I mentioned before, it's very narrow. And so we can see and we can read these words that Paul wrote to the churches in Ephesus that we can read them. This is true of us. This is book is for us in that sense, that we get to actually read it, understand it, and believe it. 
So here's what Paul says. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I think that there, in our culture right now, there's a lot of unease. A lot of things are topsy-turvy. We don't, we don't know what's going on. People running around, Why are, what are we doing here? I don't know. All right, same thing going on. And Paul shows up and he says, grace and peace. I think we could all use a little bit more grace and peace in our lives. And, and I just want to give a little uh, snippet of where the next three weeks, we're going to spend the next three weeks going through 1 through 14. And we're going to spend three weeks and kind of looking at it in three different angles, if you will, perspectives. And the first one is going to be focusing on identity. What is our identity in Christ? The second week, and uh, we're going to look at the, what are the blessings? There's all these blessings that we see in 1 through 14 that we get because we're in Christ. But then the main aspect of 1 through 14 uh, that is mentioned multiple times is for the glory of God. And so we're going to spend three weeks looking at 1 through 14 and looking at our identity in Christ, the blessings that we have because we're in Christ, and then looking at this is all because of God's glory. That it's not about me, it's not about you, it's not about our church, it's not about our city, it's all about the glory of God. And we get to participate in that. And so as uh, I close, just want to mention, uh, you have grace and peace. There's no question here. You have access to that grace and peace because Christ is seated on the throne that he's seated at the right hand of God in power and authority. And the same Jesus that Stephen, as he's being martyred, sees in glory is our same God that is offering grace and peace. We're going to have a time of communion like we do every week. Um, and uh, and, and we, as we take these elements, all I would ask is that you're a follower of Jesus. If you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, you love Jesus, uh, I would love for you to partake of these elements with us. The bread that represents the body of Christ that was broken for us the juice that represents his blood that was shed for us. But over 2,000 years ago, that there was God-man in flesh who hung on a cross and bled and died for our sins. And we get to partake of these elements to remember what it is that Christ did for us. That we get to remember that we have access to grace and peace. That God loves us and he loves his church, this church and all of his churches. And now we have access to grace and peace to remember what it is that Christ did let me pray and we will sing a couple more songs and, and feel free to take these elements as you uh, see fit, as you pray, as you repent, as you worship uh, in your heart or out loud. And, uh, and we will partake of these elements together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Paul. I thank you that we can look at the life of your servant, Paul, looking at how he suffered for you and for your name's sake. Uh, that he didn't, because he was a follower of you, didn't have everything that he wanted, but he did have everything that he needed. And so, God, I pray that as we partake of these elements, that we get to partake of the same um, a remembrance that your, your uh, apostle Paul did, that as your son Jesus told us to, to take these elements, that this is your body and this is your blood, and that we take this and we drink this and we eat this in remembrance of him and what he accomplished for us. So I pray as we embark on this new series in Ephesians, I just pray that you uh, receive the honor, that you would receive the glory, that we would glean, we would learn, we would fall more in love with Jesus, but it's you ultimately who gets the honor and the glory. And we pray these things in Christ's name, amen.